Trevor Sycamore of Pro Football Focus breaks down the Cowboys offseason. All that more in this episode of the Locked On Cowboys podcast. You are Locked On Cowboys, your daily Dallas Cowboys podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Cowboys podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We'd like to thank you for making us your first listen of the day. I am your host, Marcus Mosher. You can follow me on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosher. Joining me today, as always, is Landon McCool. You can check him out on Twitter at McCoolBCB. And we've got a special guest for you guys. It's Trevor Sycamore from Pro Football Focus. Check him out on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Trevor, thanks for joining the show. Guys, I appreciate you having me. As always, I'm excited to talk a little ball with you here during the offseason because, uh, you know, we got to come up with plenty of things to talk about. But uh, I don't I don't mm-hmm. have a doubt that we'll, uh, we'll be able to make a good show here. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, let's uh, let's just jump right into all we got so much stuff to talk about. Let's talk about the Cowboys offseason. Let's talk about the big additions that they made. Stefan Gilmore, Brandon Cooks. Which one moved the needle more for you this offseason, Trevor? Oh, that's a good question, because I, I really did like both of these moves a lot. I, I guess the Brandon Cooks one is the one that I'm I'm the most intrigued by, because, you know, obviously, like Michael Gallo has been going through his injuries over the last couple of years, and, and they've been trying to find that guy next to CeeDee Lamb who they've been really able to lean on. And they've tried a couple of different things. They've got tight ends in the mix. They had a couple of different wide receivers. They thought that obviously that was going to be the case with Gallup. And I still like Gallup a lot. I still think he's a talented receiver, but just it's been up and down in that category. And Cooks feels like someone who has been disgruntled for a little bit, right? He's he's mm-hmm. known as the guy who continues to get traded for first round picks, no matter how old he gets, no matter how far we get away from him being drafted. It just feels like it's been one spot after another for him. And you could tell that, okay, he goes to Houston, he becomes the man in Houston, but it was very clear that Houston just like wasn't going anywhere once the Deshaun Watson stuff started to unfold, right? Once it started to be like, okay, he's probably out the door in the year where he wasn't playing, like all of that, I just think negatively impacted what Cooks' outlook could have been. And I still think this is one of the better receivers that we have in the NFL, even as he's getting up there in age, and especially for him to assume a wide receiver two position we assume behind cd lamb because he's going to be the focal point of that passing offense that now gives them a really nice wide receiver trio in theory between lamb and cooks and Gallup when he's fully healthy so you know even with dalton schultz being out the door and and some changes to the rest of the depth of the wide receiver room i'm really looking forward to what this passing offense can be and you know the wrinkle in that is Kellen Moore is no longer the offensive coordinator. So it's like, all right, well, are they going to lean on multi-wide receiver sets, three-wide receiver sets as much as they have in the past? I guess we'll see. But talent, to me, won't be a reason why they choose to not do that if that's the route that they end up going. So I'm really excited to see this kind of three-headed passing attack with those three wide receivers. Okay, having said that, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the defense and stuff on Gilmore. So we know that, you know, year to year, uh, maintaining a, a high level defense is difficult because, you know, a lot of it is, is hinging on, on the offenses that they're playing and that sort of thing. But what do you think, you know, despite the fact that the Cowboys were able to kind of come back last year and maybe even have a better defense than they did previously? With the addition of Stefan Gilmore, with, you know, with the improvements of some of the younger players on this on this defense, 
do you think that there's a chance that the Cowboys defense retaining now, now adding stuff on Gilmore into this mix, another year with bland, another year of Parsons of improving. Is there a chance that this defense is actually could be better than it was the previous two years? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that retaining Dan Quinn was huge, right? I thought two years ago he was gone. I thought yeah. last <laughs> year he was gone for sure. Mm-hmm. And here he is still the defensive coordinator I wonder if he just likes living in Dallas or <laughs> he likes coaching Michael Parsons, or maybe there's something a little bit more behind the scenes where, I don't know, maybe there's a secret conversation where it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, if McCarthy's out, you're in. So, you know, I wonder what the reason why Dan Quinn is still there, but him being there is huge. I think he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. I really do. And I think that even when you look back at his time as a head coach with the Atlanta Falcons, sure. You got the Super Bowl run and I know the blundering of the Super Bowl and everything like that, but it was still a phenomenal year. They improved all the way up to that point. And even in the two years that were really a struggle with Dan Quinn his last year as head coach, his players fought for this dude. I think it was both years in a row. They started really slow or they started just not the way that they wanted to. And yet this team continued to fight for their head coach, even in that second year when it felt like it was a dead man walking. And that just goes to show how much his players will go to bat for him and yeah. will give him everything he's got. Yeah. And that's what I, and that to me at the very top of the coaching level is why I look at the talent on this defense and say, sure, why not? It could be even better than it's been the previous couple of seasons. I like the fact that they're getting Stefan Gilmore in there. Sure, maybe he's not as good as he was um, when he was winning defensive player of the year a couple of years ago, but to have him as a CB1 and has hit, have his intelligence and his football IQ out there now opposite a major playmaker in Trayvon Diggs, to me that now allows you to have some versatility in how you deploy your coverage to where, like, okay, Diggs doesn't have to be matched up against the other team's best wide receiver because when yeah. you have a guy who's super feast or famine like he is, yeah, you love the return on investment that you get when he's picking the ball off. But last year, you know, he picks it off a little bit less. I think in coverage, he was a little bit better. But if that's a CB2 instead of a CB1 some weeks, that's huge. So I just feel like matchup-wise, Stefan Gilmore individually, I think, is a really good pickup for them. But yeah. then the, what he did, the ripple effect that he would have on the rest of that defense, to me, is going to be huge. I think the front is still going to be fantastic. Parsons, you know moving to full-time edge okay he was rushing the passer most of the time anyway so it doesn't really matter but he's he's going to be an absolute force he's going to have quarterbacks you know looking over their shoulder worrying where he is at all times and of course you guys know that's a secondary player's best friend anytime the quarterback is hesitating at all seeing ghosts if you will feeling pressure even if pressure is not there yet that's a big deal when you increase the secondary with a player of of uh gilmore's iq that, to me, paired with what Dan Quinn can do as a defensive coordinator is what gets me excited for this defense. All right, Trevor, I've got to ask you about one of the other additions the Cowboys made this offseason because we've only really talked about Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore, but one of their few free agent signings is somebody that you happen to know, at least a little bit, former Tampa Bay great, maybe that's a little stretch, Ronald Jones. <laughs> do you think Ronald Jones has any chance to make an impact with the Cowboys, or is he just is he just one of these March signings that you, 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 you do to – Fill a spot so you can go into the draft and draft freely. You know, I, I like him as a rotational player. Um, but if if he were to be a major impact player for the Cowboys, it would mark what would be a career year for him, right? We, we have mm-hmm. not seen that kind of consistency from him. And obviously the Bucks liked him a lot when they drafted him at the top of the second round. You go back to that final year, his junior season at USC, he was one of the most dynamic backs in the country. And Tampa thought they were getting that. Now, a little bit of background for Ronald Jones and 
um, actually when he was drafted, I was covering the Bucks for Peter Report. So that was my main job was a beat reporter covering the team. And, you know, something that people often forget is these players are people. They're not just NFL mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. Life affects how they play. Ronald Jones is one of the youngest players to come out of the draft the year that he uh, was getting drafted. He was just 20 years old. So he moves from Los Angeles, California, all the way across the country to Tampa, where he has no family, no friends, no nothing, starting a new life, starting a new career. He's 20 years old. I mean, I think about what I was doing when I was 20 years old. There ain't no way I would have been able to handle that. And I think you saw a super timid Ronald Jones, his first and even going into his second season. Then you saw him get on some weight a little bit more, uh, have a little bit more confidence. And so I say all of that to give a little bit of a background to him to say, there's still reason to believe that this guy can be a contributing player. Now, is he going to be consistent enough to be that lead back for you, even in a committee? Probably not, but he is somebody who I think can give you something. He's still a young back. Um, and I do still think that he, he could have something for them in this running back room. All right. Coming up next, we're going to get Trevor's thoughts on the Cowboys 2023 draft class. Uh, next, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Uh, we've got game five between the, the Celtics and the Heat coming up on Thursday. You're going to make sure you want to tune in for that. There is no better place to bet on all the NBA action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. We want to thank you for making LockedOn Cowboys your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show. Landon and I are going to answer your Twitter questions, so be sure to send them in to us uh, at Marcus underscore Mosher or at McCoolBCB. Trevor, let's talk about the Cowboys draft class. I think you got a lot of mixed reviews from, I know, the people at PFF. Uh, but what was just your you know, 10,000-foot view of this Cowboys draft class? No, I thought, I, I thought it was a good, solid draft class. It wasn't my favorite one, but I understood some of the impact players that they were able to take, especially picking later in the draft, not picking until number 26. Uh, when you look at where some of these players get to fit in on this depth chart, you know, Mozzie Smith is somebody who has a, a ton of athleticism, a ton of potential. Now, there were times when I was watching him on tape that I was like, okay, he's running a little hot and cold, right? If you watch that Ohio State game, you go, okay, this is a top 15 player. Like, I'm probably going to take this guy in the top 15, in the top 20, because um, you see a lot of that athleticism pop. He's anchoring really well against double teams. But then you watch him against some of the lesser competition games, and I don't know, it, it just feels like he got up big for some of those rivalry games not as much for the games that were you know the noon kickoffs where Michigan was probably going to blow him out by 40 so the (laughs) hot and cold part of his game worried me a little bit that's why I wasn't as high on him as some other draft analysts were but the talent's certainly there I mean he was number one overall on uh, Bruce Feldman's preseason freak list because of the athleticism that this dude has so you know that he's going to have a role on this team you know they're going to play him early and often so him getting to, to be a piece of this rotational defensive line um i think it's going to be it's going to give them a good return on investment luke schumacher from michigan he i i thought i was pretty high on him and i would have taken him like in the third round and i like i liked him a lot they take him in the second round and so uh, i guess the cowboys liked him even more than i did but i truly do think this is a guy who could play on all three downs for you not Mm -hmm. to say like he's gonna be playing all 
of those downs for you. Like he's going to be that focal point tight end, but he is somebody who I think he gets good effort when he's blocking. I think he's got good blocking fundamentals. Uh, he's not overly imposing with his strength, but I think he holds up well. He's got some extra athleticism to him that gives him some yards after catch ability, allows him to find some soft spots in the zone. And he was a tight end in a deep tight end class that I thought was definitely getting forgotten about. So him, I think that he is going to be a major rotational player as well. And then somebody who I'm, I'm very interested in, with their third round pick to Marvin Overshone. I just wonder how the Cowboys are going to deploy him because this is a former safety, bigger, longer, thinner linebacker hybrid type of player. Well, where do you play him? Do you try to mm-hmm. kind of create a new position? Do you allow him to play as this like overhang defender? Do you let him be more of a traditional strong safety? Do you want him in the box? Do you want him like as a will linebacker to try to get more of his speed and space with that, that, that strong safety background? So I'm just very curious where they play him because where they play him maybe changes a little bit of how you're deploying the, the nickel corner, what you're doing at linebacker, where the outside yeah. linebacker is adjusting as well. So uh, those are the three picks uh, that obviously caught my eye the most as their their first three that I think could have high impacts for them. But overall, I thought it was a solid class. I wanted to drill down a little bit. Uh, you talked about Schoonmaker a little bit, but I wanted to drill down a little bit on what your thoughts were about the tight end room. Um, you know, obviously Jake Ferguson returns uh, as a presumptive starter at this point. You add Schoonmaker. Uh, you've got a couple of guys uh, a little bit down roster from them that that the Cowboys are clearly interested in and wanting to play. Where, how do you think that that room shakes out to start out in training camp? And, and where do you think it, it's going, you know, by the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, just looking at it now, you figure Ferguson's going to be tight end one for them. You think that he's going to fill in on those early downs. He's going to be the first guy out there. But I really do think that Schoonmaker could be this tight end too as early as early in the season. I think that him and Peyton Hendershot, there's nothing I, – I, I think that Peyton Hendershot had his moments last year, but it's not like he had a – plethora of flash plays where you go okay this guy's got to be our tight end too no matter what I think it's going to be a steady rotation that you see in training camp between those two guys and the winner of that battle is going to get more looks than the other when it comes to those 12 personnel sets or 22 personnel sets or whatever it's going to be just when they get multiple tight ends out there so that's kind of the way that that I see the tight end room playing out but really all of those snaps are up for grabs it's basically to me going to be whoever plays the best in training camp uh, is going to be able to retain most of those snaps. Trevor, one of the decisions the Cowboys had at 26 was they were debating Mozzie Smith or Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. Just kind of in hindsight now, do you think they made the right choice there? Because I think a lot of Cowboy fans were shocked that Bergeron was even in, in consideration for that pick in, in round one. Bergeron was a top 30 player for me. I, I like I liked Matthew Bergeron a lot. Now, I don't know if he has the length to play as a full-time offensive tackle in the NFL, but I, I I talked similarly about Bergeron the way that I did about Peter Skaronsky. Now I had Skaronsky much higher, but it was kind of that conversation where you go, mm-hmm. only thing really limiting these guys is that length, is that just physical ability, because the rest of it's there. Bergeron's such a smart player. He's played on both the left and the right side of the offensive line. He started at both right tackle and left tackle. Love the footwork, love the drive, love the finishing mentality in the run game. I think he's smart when it comes to pass protection, and I think his deficiencies of how far he could get out in his kick slide will be, um, you know, with him going to Atlanta, and and he's for sure going to be an interior offensive lineman in, in Atlanta. You know, those 
deficiencies are going to be masked a little bit. And I think you're just going to get the strengths out of him. So I think this is a guy who could have been a potential pro bowler, all pro guy um, as an interior offensive lineman, because I, I, I mean, I was just that high on him, but uh, it, it is interesting that they were going after the trenches one way or the other. When I look at Dallas's offensive line, you guys are more familiar with the situation than I am. I mean, would it have been Tyler Smith then potentially kicking out to right tackle or would it have been Bergeron trying to play at right tackle? Because I, I just look at the depth chart right now and it's got Smith at left guard. Of course, you got Tyron Smith at left tackle still. Um, Biotis at center, Zach Martin at guard, and then Steele's at right tackle. So I'm curious actually what you guys would have thought if they would have drafted Bergeron, what the offensive line would have guard right i, I mean i mean i think he would have had to start at left guard but i don't yeah the thing is i don't know if he has the cowboys are looking for power on their offensive yeah, line which exactly. is why it's a little bit of a weird fit moving bergeron mm-hmm. into left guard but it's why it was I, a little surprising to hear that he yeah was, exactly he was the name honestly mm-hmm. yeah just because I, they've, they've they've deferred so much to power lately you know that that you you felt like and, and just like kind of looking at some of the people that they've brought in at different points it felt like they were transitioning more to even though Solari has such a, a, a tradition with a zone blocking scheme it, it did feel like the names that we were hearing and the kind of folks that they were talking about bringing in seemed like more of a, a power man type you know yeah, yeah. Uh, blocker so it, it, it was interesting to see that his name was the name being mentioned well clearly with Atlanta drafting him they think he's enough of an ass kicker right I mean yeah. like if, if they didn't yeah. think you know like if they didn't think that Bergeron played with enough power, yeah. Atlanta wouldn't have drafted him. So it does feel like the NFL believed in maybe his power profile a little bit more than um, – I know some draft analysts were saying like that was a little bit of a concern. Like he's not the most physically imposing guy, mm-hmm. especially if you're moving him to an interior spot. But just from him being as high on the board for Dallas as he was, mentioning kind of the hints that you guys said there, and then the fact that he was drafted to an offensive line with Arthur Smith yep. where – if you ain't moving people, you ain't playing on the offensive line in Atlanta. So exactly. uh, I do think that that's an interesting, uh, uh, interesting view. All right, let's uh, let's get Trevor's expectations for the Cowboys heading into the 2023 season next. All right, we're here with Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus again. Follow him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Uh, Trevor, we just we want your expectations and your thoughts on the Cowboys going into this year. I think everybody believes. It's a playoff team, but do you see them as something more, something less? No, I, I, I don't see them as something less, especially the way that the NFC is is set up. Now, look, it's a it's a tough division that they're playing in. You know, you've obviously have the Philadelphia Eagles there. Love Brian Dable and, and Wink Martindale and the coaching staff in 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 New York. So you know that New York's going to play tough. I don't think that last year was some outlier year or that they jumped the shark and they're going to have some regression here. I think that the Giants, okay, maybe not Super Bowl contenders, but they're going to be a strong team again. So that's going to be tough for them. So they're probably in the toughest division uh, in this conference, but the rest of the conference really isn't that yeah. strong. You know, you're, you're most likely only getting one playoff team out of the NFC South. Um, you might get two out of the NFC West. You might get two with the NFC North, but I think that there's still a reality where even three teams from the NFC East could make it to the playoffs uh, again this upcoming season. I also look at the quarterback, right? When you talk about playoff chances, that's where you have to look first. I'm a, I'm a Dak Prescott fan uh, for, for it. It seems like on, on Twitter, you're either, you, there's two types of people. You're either a Prescott fan and you believe in him, or 
or you don't. And and I'm one of those people that definitely believes in Dak Prescott. Um, last year was a down year for him, but of course, I think the thumb injury really went into that. Not just the time that he missed, but then um, when he was playing afterwards. You know, I think that Tony Pollard coming back and 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 being close to as efficient and as explosive as we have seen from him over the last couple of years, that's going to be a big deal. But I think just offensively, it's a big question mark moving on from Kellen Moore, especially listening to how Mike McCarthy talked about how he wants to run the offense now moving forward. Are they going to take a lot off of Prescott's plate? Because to me, sure, you want balance. Balance is something that you want, but balance doesn't necessarily mean 50-50, right? I think that people confuse that when they hear the word balance on offense. They go, okay, where there should be just as many rushing snaps as there are passing snaps. That doesn't mean a good balance. A good balance is wherever the strength and the health of your team is, that's what you lean on the most. It's how you play complementary football the best. You know, I mean, sure, of course, passing the ball has higher EPA per play. But, like, when you look at the Tennessee Titans – they're going to give the ball to Derrick Henry. So like balance for the Titans means that that ball is in Henry's hands more often than it's not. It feels like for the Cowboys, I always felt like their strength was through their receivers was through their offensive line. And it was through their quarterback as Prescott's been playing really well when he's been healthy over the last couple of years. So do they get away from that? Because if they do to me, you know, you bring all sorts of EPA per play into it. And okay, now there's, there's more plays that have lower EPA per play that you're throwing out there is the return on investment really going to hurt the fact that you're handing it off more than you're passing the ball? And that is the big question mark to me. I think this roster is certainly playoff caliber. They should be a team that should make the playoffs next year. It just depends what this offensive philosophy is moving forward. Actually, I kind of want to drill down to that a little bit further, actually, if we could, you know, we uh, just to kind of help you place my, uh, we have tinfoil hats and I'm going to place one on you right real quick. (laughs) We've all we've all heard what Mike McCarthy said this offseason, and, and, and he, you're right. He's constantly talked about you know wanting to run the football more, wanting to you know uh, control the ball a little bit more. But none of Mike McCarthy's history kind of you know actually plays into that. And and so Marcus and I have been really wondering whether or not like this is all coach speak, and that as soon as we get into the season, we're going to get nor- the normal kind of Mike McCarthy West Coast throwing the football a lot offense. Or if this is a, a really come to, to bear. So I, I guess my question is, you know, looking at, at McCarthy's history, do you see, do you also feel like there's something suspicious about what he's saying versus what he may be wanting to do? Well, you guys know McCarthy's history, I'm sure, a lot better than me. But, I, you know, obviously going back over the last couple of years and, and going back to his days in Green Bay, yeah, it felt like he, he leaned on the pass plenty. And maybe maybe when he talked about running the ball more, Maybe it was just a giant smoke screen. Who knows? I mean, coaches obviously do that all the time. Shoot McCarthy himself. What did he tell Jerry yeah. Jones that he watched like every play of the NFL season or something? The year I mean, you were known FF. You know what? You right. know what the kind of smoke screen he was talking about? Uh. Yeah, it was funny. He brought up the PFF stuff, and everybody That's in the right. office was just like, "Wait, what? Us? Don't no, don't, put, don't throw us under the bus. What are you talking about?" So, no, I, I just wonder if maybe when he talked about rushing the ball more, maybe it was just more of he was trying to throw out as many cliches or stereotypes to basically just say, we've got to take care of the ball more because Uh Prescott put the ball in harm's way more last year than he traditionally does. You know, I think the turnover worthy play rate for him last year was higher than it has been in years past. And so, you know, was McCarthy sitting there going, Hey, this is Kellen's fault for 
calling this kind of offense, putting the ball in a harm's way, because you don't really want to blame Dak on that. Although yeah. I think that the thumb injury kind of goes into it. So maybe all of this speak throughout the offseason, like you guys have said, is more of him just saying, I felt, because maybe he felt like this as well. Maybe he felt like he didn't have enough control of his mm-hmm. own team. And mm-hmm. anytime that's the case, head coaches sometimes get freaked out a little bit. Sometimes they'll, I don't want to say like regress, but like they'll go in back into, in, right? Yeah, like and they'll, they'll, and they'll like go back control. into their shell a little bit, and they'll be like, okay, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let's run the ball a little bit more. Let's let's control things a little bit more, like you mentioned. And I think that th- perhaps that is what he meant more than just saying, "Hey, in a vacuum, we're just going to run the football more." Because I, shoot, I, I'd agree with everybody's got to take care of the football better, right? Those are the teams that make it far. Those are the teams that win football games. Every coach will tell you that is objective number one, take care of the football. So if that's kind of what he meant, I've still got faith that they're going to run this offense through the arm of Dak Prescott, through the eyes of Dak Prescott, between the ears of Dak Prescott, through and through some really nice receivers, hopefully a healthy offensive line and a healthy Tony Pollard. And if all of that is the case, like I said, this offense feels way too good to not be a playoff team next year. All right, that is it for today's show. We want to thank Trevor for jumping on. Uh, please go check out his work at Pro Football Focus. He's got a really good article up on the top 25 players under the age of 25. If you're a Cowboy fan, and obviously you are because you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, I think you're going to like that article quite a bit. There's a there's a few Cowboys on that list, but go check him out on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. You can follow Landon on Twitter at McCoolBCB. I'm at Marcus underscore Mosier, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow.